We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 41, which is entitled, What to Do with All Their Stuff. John, as coaches, we often get asked, when is the right time to go through my loved one's belongings? And the thing is, there's no right or wrong answer to this question. There's no perfect or appropriate time to do this, regardless of what family members or friends might tell you. I agree 100%. Everybody has to take this and do it on their own timeline in their own way. This is a very, very, very personal thing that we are all forced to do. And again, as I say a million times, we have to empower ourselves enough to make our own decisions and do this in our own way. Yeah, absolutely. And we know there may be some of the bigger things that you have to deal with in a given time frame due to a will or legalities. And sometimes other factors will come into play that may see you having to sort through their things much sooner than you want to. Like, you know, for me personally, I had to move out of the house that Tony and I were renting and move in with my parents just three months after Tony died. So I kind of had to face everything pretty quickly. And there were some big things that I knew had to go before I moved. So for instance, there was Tony's motorbike. Now, Tony's motorbike, I talked him into buying it a year before he died because I knew it was a big dream of his to have one again. He'd had one when he was younger and he always talked about getting another another one. And he was really worried about spending the money at the time because he knew I'd need that later on. So we made a deal that I would sell it straight away. So I knew that I could do that without feeling any guilt. And then, then there were other things like his toolbox and tools that I gave to his daughter's husband because um, I knew he'd appreciate them and he'd already given his big barbecue to my daughter and a partner. I also decided to sell our king-size bedroom suite and our huge lounge suite because I had nowhere to store them and I knew that when I eventually would be able to get my own home again that it was going to be much smaller so they weren't going to fit in anyway. But the nice thing was that the bedroom suite went to a beautiful young couple and the lounge suite went to a lovely family who was so excited about it. And I just knew that they'd make lots of special family memories sitting around on it, just as we had. But I remember feeling that I was nowhere near ready to get rid of any of his more personal things. So I just packed them all into suitcases and took them with me. So how about you, John? Did you have any other factors that affected when you had to sort through Michelle's things? So about two years after Michelle died, I ended up putting the house up for sale. When she first died, I was absolutely insistent that I was never, ever, ever, ever leaving that house. And two years later, I really needed a fresh start. 
I couldn't afford it anymore financially either, but it was beyond that. I really needed a fresh start and I put the house up for sale. And as you know, when you put the house up for sale, you got to move some shit, right? So there were times before that, that I did move stuff. And we'll talk about that as we go with this episode. But as far as kind of like factors where I was forced into it, it was when I put the house up for sale. And I remember specifically the pictures. I had probably, you know, I don't know, eight, 10 pictures of her throughout the house. The same pictures from when she was alive and maybe one or two more I put out after she died. And when you sell your house, again, you're not supposed to have family pictures. So I took all of them down and I think I left up one. Um, the real estate agent we use was actually family. So I said, I'm keeping one picture up and I think she knew to just let me do that, right? But I was forced to do that at that time. And I remember it did not feel well. And part of it not feeling well, I think, was that it wasn't in my time. Yeah, I totally get that. So I might just talk a little bit about the early days after your person dies. And, you know, there can be so many everyday reminders around your house, things that can be really hard to part with, you know, things like their toothbrush, their dirty clothes in the laundry, their medications, maybe even their food. And then there's things like their deodorant, shampoo and toiletries. Sometimes these things may bring some comfort, but sometimes they're just painful reminders of their absence. But the thing is, even if seeing them causes you pain, the thought of throwing them out can seem even more painful. Now, it's important to keep in mind when you do give things away impulsively, you may change your mind and want them back, but it's too late then. So please don't let anyone rush you into doing things that you're not ready to do. Yeah, absolutely. That brings two things to my mind. So the first is a couple months after Michelle passed, we had a get together at our house, which was now my house. And a bunch of her cousins came and a bunch of her friends came. And I remember telling them that they could go to her closet and they could pick out one thing each. Now, I had already kind of rearranged her closet. So I had already put the things that I wanted to keep in a certain place. So when I let them go to the closet, I showed them very specifically <laughs> the area that they could pick one thing out from. There have been times over the last seven years where I've regretted that a little bit, but just a little bit. Ultimately, I'm still happy that I let these people who love Michelle have a little piece of her things. I still am happy about that. But when you're talking about like dirty clothes, toiletries, toothbrush, all that type of stuff, there's two more examples I want to give. Can I give two more examples? Yeah, let's see them. <laughs> all right. So the first is Michelle would always be nauseous from the cancer, obviously. And the doctors prescribed her a anti-nausea patch that you would put behind your ear. And it was the only thing that helped her nausea at all. And probably a couple of weeks after she died, I'm in the shower and I find her patch, her used patch, right? And not only did it cause me to have a breakdown, but I also treated that patch like gold. <laughs> I remember picking up the patch and just staring at it like sobbing and then getting out of the shower and finding a plastic bag and putting it in the bag, right? And then the other thing that comes to my mind is, 
my mom doesn't listen to this podcast, so she won't hear this, but if she does, it's her own fault. So Michelle had a pillow that she would take in the car with her into hospice, et cetera. And it was the pillow that was in the bed when she died. And I took that pillow and I would sleep with that pillow for the first couple of weeks. One day, I think I went out with a friend and I got back and my mom had come over and had very kindly decided to do some laundry, <laughs> but she washed the pillowcase. And obviously I didn't, I wasn't angry, but I was deeply impacted in that moment because I did not want that pillowcase washed. I wanted that pillowcase that Michelle used for weeks and months and that was in the bed with her when she died. I wanted that to remain close to me unwashed. Does that make sense, my friend? <laughs> it does. It does. Um, look, that just reminded me of something that I actually had the pillowcase from Tony's pillow that he last slept on here at home. And I was trying so hard, you know, to keep it not washed and I accidentally washed it. I accidentally threw it in with the washing and it got washed. And I was so pissed off with myself. But I only had me to blame for that one. Yeah. I was like, I, I mean, I, I didn't say anything to her, I don't think. But I'm like, thank you, Mom. The one thing that you decide to come and help me with. Yeah. <laughs> and you wash the fucking pillowcase. <laughs> and it happens a bit that, you know, especially, you know, moms can go around to help someone um, who's person has died with the washing and things and they just automatically will do the washing and don't realize that they're the last clothes that he or she wore and you right. didn't want them washed right yeah I think I, I was devastated yeah I don't think I it's something I we can get but yeah but yeah it's it's a big devastation it's hard yeah I mean it feels and it's it's not the reality but it feels like that pillowcase, that's that's my link to Michelle, right? Like that's my link to to her germs and all that type of stuff. Like, <laughs> and you crave that, right? Because you're never gonna have that again here in the physical form. But yeah. I digress. Anyways, enough about the pillowcase. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about their clothing. So your loved one's clothing, it says a lot about who they were. And it's often tied to memories or events, especially if they had some favorites that they loved to wear regularly. And as we talked about in episode 17, which was continuing Bond's way, ways to stay connected, there's so much that you can do with your person's clothing that can help you to maintain a comforting connection with them. And I've shared before, I have a beautiful big memory quilt made out of Tony's favourite clothes, and I just love it. It's even got a couple of his shirt pockets on it, and I keep some special little items in those pockets as well. On top of that, I have some memory cushions that were made from his shirts. And as far as going through Tony's clothes, well, I've sorted through them in a few different stages. So the first thing I did was to give away the things that held no real emotional attachment. And then over time, every now and again, I'll go through and I'll donate some more things. So I usually donate them to the hospice thrift shop because they helped us so much when Tony was sick. It's coming up six years this month and 
I still have some of Tony's special clothes. So I guess it's a work in progress and I'm just really happy that I've done it my way and in my own time. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, I talked about earlier allowing her friends and her cousins to go to the closet and from one section of the closet pick out some of the things that I didn't necessarily have an emotional attachment to. That was probably two months or so after she died. About six months after she died, it was the summer. I just remember being at at a barbecue. I don't remember if it was a 4th of July barbecue or not. But I was at my neighbor's house and I wasn't wasn't having a good time, unbelievably sad and all that. And I remember walking home and I don't know why I did it, but I took out some of her clothes or actually I took out all of her clothes. So sorry, I'm going to go through this in my head to recall this. So we had a master closet that we split. And obviously she got more space than me, right? <laughs> but we had that master closet. And then in our master bedroom, we had two other small closets. And then I had a home office with a big closet. So that day I went home and I took all of the clothes out of the master closet, all of her clothes out of them. And I moved them all to the home office closet. And I'm just like remembering this as I say it. That in itself was difficult enough. On that day, for whatever reason, I needed to do something with her clothes, but I wasn't ready to part with any of them yet. And I think about it now, and as I'm recalling this story, I think why I moved them from one closet to the next was because I wasn't going to be going in the office closet. I wasn't going to be seeing them every single day. And I had reached a point where it brought me too much pain every time I went to go get a shirt or a pair of jeans to see all of her clothes. So I made that one small move at that time. So again, that was about maybe six months after she died. The process of parting with Michelle's things for me has been a gradual one that has come in many steps. So you know, I sold the house and I donated some of her clothes at that point. I also kept a bunch of clothes for her daughter, my stepdaughter, you know, so I said here, you know, go in this closet, tell me what you want to keep. And she kept a bunch of stuff, but I moved a couple times since she's passed. So every time I moved, I parted with a little bit more. And as you did, we also made some special stuff out of her clothes. So for the first mother's day that she was gone, I had a huge stuffed animal, a huge teddy bear made out of Michelle's clothing, and I gave it to my stepdaughter. So again, it goes back to not only can you do some special stuff with it, but you have to empower yourself to be your own boss here. And sometimes that means not touching anything until you feel more ready. Sometimes that means getting rid of everything in one big swoop right and other times that means going at it very gradually i absolutely agree with that john and um as i said before mine was very gradual as well and that worked for me but it's really about finding what works for you and allowing yourself to do what you want to do so john what do you think should we run through a few tips that might be helpful to our listeners let's do it Okay, 
So first up, don't let anyone else tell you what you should or shouldn't do or pressure you into time frames that you don't feel comfortable with. This is your loss and your grief experience, not theirs. As we said, once these things are gone, you can't get them back. So do it in your own timeline. Another tip is to check with family and friends to see if there is something in particular they would like. This doesn't mean that you have to give it to them, right? This doesn't mean you have to give it to them, but ask them, see if there's something they would like, and then you can have a discussion to see if you want to part ways with it. Another good point is don't try to do it all in one day. Sometimes even one hour at a time might be enough. Set a realistic schedule to reduce overwhelm. You might want to take one area at a time. For instance, their part of the bathroom or their part of the closet, their toolbox or their makeup kit, and just focus in on that to get through that part and also to see how it feels on you to see if you're ready to do the rest. Allow more time than you think you'll need. Quite often, you'll end up sitting on the floor, staring at a piece of clothing or a special belonging, thinking of the memories it brings up. There will likely be tears, there will likely be laughter, and it could be a very slow process. Consider repurposing some things. So Carolyn and I talked a little bit about that with the clothes, but you can do it with other things as well. So let me give you an example. So Michelle had what I used to call her throw up bucket. And it was, you know, one of those little buckets that they gave you at the hospital with your toiletries. Well, she would steal it every time we were at the hospital because she would need it for the car rides where she would get car sick. Before I moved, so my house had finally sold, you know, that six week period or whatever it was before closing and I'm going through all this stuff and as Carolyn said, you know, there would be times I would just stare at something and, you know, start sobbing and I'm cleaning out the garage and I find her throw up bucket and I'm sitting there with this throw up bucket in my hands. Just like, what the fuck do I do with this? Because this is the stupidest thing in the world, but I don't want to part with it. And I ended up, sorry, that's my, John has two phones now. That's my other phone in the background. <laughs> <laughs> You're sounding important now, John, two phones. <laughs> and I ended up repurposing that throw up bucket. And we, you know, it was, there was no vomit in it, right? Uh, we ended up making like a little plant in it. And no, I don't have it anymore, but for the next year or so, it was in our apartment and it was pretty and it was nice and all that stuff. So sometimes you don't have to get rid of certain things. You can repurpose them. I love that idea. Another thing to think about is would you prefer to go through their stuff alone or would you like to have a support person to help you? And look, this could be different for each area that you're going through. I love that suggestion. And I'm also going to add, you know, this is such a difficult thing that there might be things you can do to make it a little less difficult. So let's say you're going to do this in April, right? And I'm talking about the US climate here, right? So April is springtime here. You're going to do this in April and you know it's going to be difficult. 
but you've picked a Saturday to do it on. And it just so happens to be sunny on that Saturday. Maybe you open up all the windows in your home and get some fresh air going. Maybe you put on your favorite music. Maybe you, you know, have a glass of wine or order in your favorite food. It's difficult. Yes. And it's, it's beyond difficult, right? Difficult is not the right word for this type of thing. But there are things we can do to help ease how emotionally difficult it is going to be. Doing it by yourself might work for some people. But for other people, having your best friend there with some pizza and your deceased husband's favorite music might be the better path. So as you said, Carolyn, you really want to zone in on what is going to be best for you in this situation and then also adjust accordingly because what you thought was going to work may not work. So true, John. It's all a bit of trial and error. Now, another thing to look at is, is it a larger area that you feel you might need help with? You might find yourself left with garages or sheds filled with their tools or equipment, their hobby items, or even a lot of junk they've been hoarding for years. And that can feel really overwhelming. Maybe you could consider asking your family or friends, or maybe even your sporting or church group for help. Quite often, they would love the opportunity to do something useful, and it would really help you out as well. This one might seem obvious, but it can be so helpful, especially when we're grieving and we have grief brain and all that type of stuff. So consider labeling things, categorize them and label them. So one can be keep for me, right? One can be give to others or sell. One can be donate or, you know, we're going to trash this stuff. Another one can be, I'm not sure yet, right? I don't know what I want to do with this stuff yet. And I'm going to put it in a pile and I'm going to label it. I don't know what I want to do with it yet. And I'm going to come back to it another day. There's also some questions that you can ask yourself that might be a bit helpful in helping you make these decisions. So things like, do I have space for it? What's my reason for keeping it? Can I keep some and give some away? Now, this one can be helpful if your person had a collection of something, whether it was fine china or stuffed toys. You might have space for one stuffed elephant, but not 30. One thing to consider is, if it's something you might want to take a photo of rather than keeping the actual item itself. And you might want to choose a charity that has a special meaning to you or your loved one, just as I did with hospice. Checking what financial and legal documents you need to keep and which ones you can part with is key. You don't want to obviously toss stuff that you need, obvious statement, right? But I would also say that you don't want to be bogged down with a bunch of financial or legal or medical documents that you don't need. Those type of things can be super triggering. And another thing that I think is quite important to say is that you don't have to let anyone else know what you're doing, what you've done, what your plans are. It's not their business. And if someone asks you if you've sorted through their things, 
you might want to say something like, yes, I'm dealing with that in my own way, or thanks for your concern. My coach or therapist is helping me to work through that in the most suitable way for me. As we said, this is your experience. You don't have to take on their judgments. Ooh, I love that response. Thank you for your concern. My coach or therapist is helping me to work through that in the most suitable way for me. I like that one. That's a good one. Yeah, and it kind of segues into our next area that we're talking about, John. So how about we share a couple of our client stories, given that it is something that we do help our clients with quite regularly. Let's do it. Now, I have several clients, and I'm sure you're the same, John, who have been left with family heirlooms or maybe war medals or things that were special to their partner or their parent who died. However, they feel that they have no connection to these items and they're just left sitting in a drawer where no one sees them. And sometimes they feel guilty at the thought of getting rid of them, but they also feel guilty at the thought of them sitting in a drawer unseen. They may have no children to hand them down to, or it could be that their children just aren't interested in them. So what we'll do is we'll usually we'll talk through some different options to help them come up with what feels most comfortable for them. Now, this could be asking other family members, such as an aunt or uncle or a niece or nephew, if they would like them, or maybe a friend of your person who shared the same interest and and would be really interested in them. Sometimes it's about getting curious and doing some research. You might ask yourself, what do I think he or she would like done with them? After all, you knew them really well. Or it may be Googling historical societies or places where things can be displayed, or maybe an antique shop that will pay you some money for it. But the thing is to allow yourself some time to do this without putting pressure on yourself. You might want to make it a fun little project that you do. And I found that some pretty cool things have happened when my clients have done this. But it's also important to remember you can only do what you have the energy to do. You don't have to take on a huge responsibility for these things. So if you don't want to do anything at all, that's okay too. So I have a client who had some jewelry that they were not sure if they wanted to part ways with. And what I suggested to them was, what if you put it in the garage for a month and not somewhere you'll see it in the garage, like hide it in the garage underneath a bunch of boxes or whatever. So it's out of sight, out of mind. It's like you've parted ways with it, but you haven't really parted ways with it. Let's see how that feels on you for a month after a month and that might get us a little tiny bit closer to the eventual answer as to whether or not you really want to part ways with this so again as you said carolyn the truth is like once you get it up it's really hard to get it back right so these kind of baby steps can get you a little bit of a better feeling of do i really want to part ways with this am i ready to part ways with this Another client of mine and her husband were both teachers and after he died, she was left with some really special VHS video lessons that he had recorded many years earlier. Now, she was unsure whether to throw them out or what to do with them. They held no real value to her, but were very good videos. 
we talked a bit about who might be interested in them and thought it might be a good idea to contact the university where he was working at the time to see if they had any historical appeal for them. I also encouraged her to think outside the square a bit and Google places that may be interested in historical education and to look for Facebook groups along the same lines. Getting curious and doing a bit of research, playing around with this a little bit, it can uncover some very interesting things. And it could be also a bit of a hobby or an interest for you to do that has that bit of a special meaning and that can be helpful while you are grieving. So I have to say this here. You guys have heard Carolyn and I both say on this podcast 17,000 times the word empower. Empower yourself to grieve your own way. Empower yourself to rebuild your own way. Empower yourself to live your own way. You have heard us say that so many times and we will continue to say it because we believe it and it is the truth. That being said, if we're being honest, there can be times where not getting rid of some of their stuff or not doing something with some of their stuff becomes a negative thing or an unhealthy thing. So let me give you an example. I had somebody call me a couple years ago and on our first session, she told me that her husband had passed away six years ago and that the clothing that he had left on the floor the morning he passed was still in the same exact spot. The sweater that he had left on the chair was in the same exact spot. There are times where we have to be real about we need to do something here. We need to put one foot in front of another. We do need to make some progress. I think that looks different for everyone. But if we're being honest, if we're six years out, and you have moved nothing, and especially the things that are wrapped in the trauma, like those are the last clothes he touched and they're still on the same exact spot on the floor from before he died suddenly. We do wanna make some progress. There comes a time where we do have to say, okay, I need to make some progress here, which leads me into a couple of my closing thoughts here before I give it to Carolyn to end the episode. So first of all, I'm a firm believer that their love and their memory can walk with us for the rest of our days. I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer that they're not that piece of clothing. They're not that house. I feel closer to Michelle now than I ever have since her passing. And I've moved three times and I have none of her stuff out where I can see it. Well, actually, I just looked and I see the urn. Never mind. <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> Everything else is in boxes. And I don't have any pictures of Michelle. Let me explain that. When I moved to San Diego in a year, I'm going to get a very nice picture of her framed and I'm going to put it in my new home. But in this apartment and in my last apartment, I didn't have any pictures of her out. Both are very small apartments. And I just felt like, oh, I don't know that my heart can take looking at this picture every moment of every day. And in this type of small apartment, that's what it would be. And beyond that, we have these things called cell phones now. 
and I can pick up my cell phone at any moment and I can see hundreds of pictures of Michelle. I can go to my Facebook, I can go to her Facebook and I can see any picture I want. So as we're looking at, you know, their things and what do we want to keep and what do we want to get rid of? It's so important to remember that their love and their memory walk with us every single day. And if you don't have any pictures up anymore, it's not because you love them less. It's because that's what works for you right now. If you got rid of her favorite sweater, it's not because you didn't care or love that sweater on her. It's because that's what works for you right now. And Carolyn, as I think you're about to share with us, they don't need that sweater anymore. So it becomes important that you make yourself a priority and this type of thing, and you figure out what's going to be best for you, the living, breathing human who is still having to be on this earth without your love. I totally agree and love all of that, John. And similarly, look, I'm very much of the belief that material things have no importance for them anymore. You know, I'm sure Tony doesn't really care about that leaf blower that he used to love now. The things we choose to keep are for us to bring us comfort, memories, or sometimes tears. So it's your choice and yours alone. Our loved ones, as John said, will live on in our heart. We carry our memories with us wherever we go, wherever we live, and whether we keep their stuff or not. And no one can take that from us. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief. Thank you.